Man, that's some good worship. Um, <clears throat> Pastor CJ asked me a good month ago if I... He told me to pray about it. And uh, when he told me, I felt like I had a word rolling in my heart. And uh, it had been rolling for a while, while and kind of building. And, and so after praying and stuff, I, I really felt like that the Lord wanted me to say yes and go for it, you know. And... Um, so uh, I told him yes, and, and uh, from that point up until, until just uh, late last week, I, I had my notes together. I had this teaching, you know, I was going to bring forth to you guys. Uh, but then Friday night, um, the Lord absolutely rocked me. And uh, uh, this morning, I just I want to be real open and transparent with you guys. Is that okay? Is that good? <laughs> All right. So I, I want to, uh, to do that. And I just I want to share with you uh, kind of an experience that the Lord gave me and something that he brought me through. And I, I believe it's very relevant for us right now where we're at. And I, you know, I don't believe I'm the only one who is experiencing this kind of thing. So, um, so anyway, Friday night, um, the Lord kind of brought some revelation forward to me that, that broke some stuff in me that has been uh, uh, one of my biggest issues for years. I mean, this thing has stolen from me for years, okay? And so I'm just going to be open with you guys, okay? I'm just going to share with you kind of what this thing was. And, uh, I mean, this thing would, would come up and uh, it would consume my consciousness. It would, uh, everything that I did, always had this thing hovering over me. And uh, just to be open and honest with you guys, this thing was sin, okay? I bet you guys want to know what it was, right? Or maybe not. <laughs> um, this th- and I'm saying was on purpose. I'm going to continue to use the past tense on this thing because this thing's going to remain past tense in my life. So <clears throat> my sin was fear. And you guys are probably like, what? We thought you were going to say something bad like pornography or something like that. <laughs> Well, let me tell you guys, in the same way that God said, do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery, he also said, do not fear. And so if I, by my free will, am going to choose to disobey God's commandment to fear, that's sin. That is disobedience. And you know, I am so thankful for God's grace. We know that, that Jesus paid for everything on the cross for us. Then when we accept his sacrifice, we can come and he absolutely uh, transforms our spirit into a new creature that it's completely made new just in an instant. And we can come before the father and he sees us as he sees his son, Jesus. Do you guys believe that this morning? But also we have to understand that our our soul, which is our mind, our will and our emotions is a work in progress. Right. And so God, as we come to him. In the righteousness that we have in Christ, he also wants to work out the salvation of our souls. You know, it says that by the Spirit, we put to death the misdeeds of the body and we'll live. Right? How many of you know that by the Spirit, Jesus put to death the misdeeds of the body and he forever lives? Right? Okay. So this thing I'm just, that was in my life is fear. And I'm going to kind of explain to you how it was working in my life, okay? You're going to think I'm a weirdo. <laughs> that's, that's okay. So, so how this would work is I would go through my life and uh, there would be, there's a couple things about me that I believe are strengths, okay, but I was using it in the wrong way. So one of them was I, am, uh, I can pay very close attention to detail. And I, I am confident that God put that into me as a strength, right? 
And he worked that into the fabric of who I was. I'm an artist and a graphic designer. And in that work, uh, attention to detail is what makes the whole picture great. Right? So God, God made me that way. You know, that was a strength that he put in, in me for a purpose. But I also have a free will, and the gifts of God are without repentance. And so by my free will, I was choosing to direct the focus of that strength into, a, um, into the wrong thing. And so what I would do is I would, like, notice details. And, uh, and I would grab onto these details, and they would just feed this fear. And more specifically, my fear was the fear of rejection. And this thing absolutely drove me. And so I would, I would see... Um, See details, I would pick out things, you know, even small, petty, insignificant things that no one else would notice. Like someone forgot to tell me hi, they didn't answer my text, you know, just like ridiculousness, ridiculousness. And so I would grab hold of these things and then focus on them. And so that was the first thing. Second thing is that I, um, I am awesome at focusing my mind on something and rolling it around and looking at it in different ways. And in the past couple of years, I've, I've noticed that... Whoa, I think God made me this way because whenever I apply that to the word, dude, I have gotten so much revelation just from, like, putting that onto the word, you know. And so I believe God made me that way, too. Because, you know, it says I meditate on your word day and night, right? The the Bible tells us to meditate on the word. And when we say meditate, we don't mean, like, um, you know, crossing your legs and sitting on a flying carpet or anything like that. But um, it's just to meditate just means to focus on it, to roll it around, to look at it from all different angles. Okay? And so I, whenever I do that on the Word, like I'm supposed to, man, God has given so much revelation through that. But if I direct that in the same way, if I direct that strength and ability onto the negative part of it, the wrong thing, then that builds fear. And so what I would do is I would have these, these negative things in my life, and I would just focus on them and roll them around. And how many of you know that meditating on the wrong thing is also called worry? If you can worry, you can meditate, and vice versa. <laughs> I mean, I, had, I just needed a couple decades added onto my life, and I would be the perfect worrying oaky grandma. I mean... I just, I had the okie and the, the worry part down. I just needed to be the grandma. So <laughs> I don't know what is it about okies, but we can worry, you know. And so, so I had that down. And, and so this thing would consume me. It would, I would just like, all my focus would be on these negative things, this fear of rejection that, that, that people wouldn't like me or they would push me away or that they would leave and abandon me. And so this thing absolutely consumed my thoughts and it, it tainted every area of my life. It hurt relationships that God had given me. Um, It caused me to push people away. And so this was just a big, ugly, nasty thing that I was allowing in my life. And so, you know, this has been a cycle, a continuing cycle. I have had some awesome victories in this, but we are all works in progress, you know. But it seems like this thing just kept coming back. And I was so frustrating. I was like, man, why can't I just kick this? You know, because I knew the word. I know what God's word says about me. I know who I am. I know I'm a daughter of God. And and that Jesus didn't die so I could live a miserable life and go to heaven. That Jesus died so that I could enjoy my life here and have abundant life to the fullness of what he had planned for me. But still, this thing just kept rearing its head. And to be completely honest with you guys, the past three weeks, it's just been miserable. I mean, it's my own fault because I I would just like receive everything as rejection. And so 
So in those strengths that I told you guys about, I would focus on the negative thing I would, until I built a, uh, it became a foundation in my life. And as I meditated on these things, I, I, I uh, developed a confident expectation. Do those words sound familiar to anyone? <laughs> so much so that it became a substance in my life and to the point where I so much expected this rejection that I was so afraid of that people have told me they could feel that coming off of me, you know, like an energy. I don't want to sound new age or whatever, but you do. You like put out your expectations onto people. You know, if they don't realize that they're going to respond into your expectation that you are afraid of. And so, so I had built this foundation in my life, this negative thing. And, and I think I can safely say this was the number one uh, negative driving force in my life. And it, 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 uh, it did. It tainted every area. And so, so the past three weeks, this thing just escalated. And uh, I, I hit breaking point and then kept going about 50 more miles or so. And, uh, and so I got to Friday, and I, I didn't know what to do. You know, even at young adults, we had talked about the, how Jesus bore that for us and all that stuff. But still, this was just, this was eating my lunch. And so Friday, I worked all day. And then at the very end of the day, I got just a few minutes to talk with someone who I, I respect and trust very much. And they gave a lot of good advice as well as some, some uh, correction and love. You know, sometimes that's the best because... They can say the hard things and still love you. But with the, along with a lot of that wisdom, one thing that they said was that they were like, Kay, you have got to, that you've been allowing this by an act of your will. So as an act of your will, you have to give this to God. You know, your religious works, your striving is not going to break this. You have to surrender this to God so that he can, he can do the work that he's already accomplished for you. And I was like, okay, you know, I was like, I think I've done that before, but I'm going to go home and try it again. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know what was different about it this time, but I did. I went home and I just immediately started praying. And I was like, God, I cannot do this anymore. This thing is stolen from me for so long. And so I was just, I was like, Jesus, as an act of my free will, with my free will, I ask you to help me to choose the right thing. Help me to choose to think on the right thing. And so I just kept worshiping, you know. And Have you guys experienced whenever you can tell that someone's praying for you? I just, I felt that. I was like, man, thank you, Lord, someone's praying for me right now. Because there's just an extra grace and a strength to really, to sincerely surrender this to God. And so I did that. And I surrendered it to him. And I just kept praying. And as I did that, it's like my confidence kept building. But I think a better way than saying my confidence was building was that my spirit was stepping up to the plate. My spirit was coming forward and the truth that needed that I needed to break this thing. And so I, uh, I kept, kept praying and, and just kept getting, yeah, that's right, and, you know, rebuking this thing and standing on the truth of the word. And then all of a sudden, I had this image of me standing there holding up the head of Goliath just like David. It was so vivid. And I actually have a picture I want to show you guys. It is a little bit graphic. It's a little bit bloody. That is David holding up Goliath's head after he's killed that giant. I think that's pretty awesome. We are, we've been uh, planning to do shirts for the youth with that on it. I was excited about it before. Dude, I'm going to rock this shirt. Be like, yes! 
that thing. <laughs> because that head was from a giant that had stolen from me for years. I'm talking years, people. I, I explain all this to you because I want you to see this was not just a small fear thing. I'm scared sometimes. No, this thing consumed me. It was just terrible, and I just didn't feel like I could kick it. I want you guys to understand that if there is probably things in your life that you feel that way about. Maybe stuff is tormenting your mind like it was tormenting mine. That God is saying you can hold up that head of testimony. You, you can hold up that head of victory because God is going to give you that, that victory and the battle is his. Okay, so I held up that head and I realized, first of all, all this thing did was talk and look big. It, it never stormed the camp. All it did was talk. What, you know, all it did was spew lies. And I was believing those lies. And then as I stood there in my room looking at this bloody head in my hand in the spirit. <laughs> but you guys laughed at that. <laughs> so as I was standing here looking at this bloody head, I also realized that it had been severed from its body and severed from its source of life. And in that, it could not talk anymore. This head cannot talk anymore. This head that is stolen from me by its words, it cannot talk anymore. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> Amen. And so, I also realized another thing, that David, who was holding that head up, all he did, he brought who he was before God. He brought who he was and what he had before God, and God brought him that amazing deliverance. And so, as I was just there praying, and God was showing me these things, he just flooded my heart with all of this stuff. And I was like, whoa, this is so awesome, you know. And, and uh, it, it was so much that I finally sat down with my iPad and just started writing. And it was, whenever I finally looked up, it had been like four hours. The Lord was just like downloading this truth to me. And so, I have it here, and... Man, it was so cool because it was almost poetic how he brought it out. I was just writing this stuff. And I'm like, dude, no one's going to believe I wrote this. <laughs> but, uh, but it was just the Holy Spirit breathing through me. And so I, I do. that's what I, I'm confident I'm supposed to bring forward to you guys today. Because there's some giant heads are going to roll this morning. <clears throat> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read part of this. Forgive me. I just I want to get this right to you, okay? So this is the first part. The giant, all he did was talk. He ran his mouth and defiled the armies of the living God. He didn't lunch to attack. He never stormed their camp. All he did was talk. He used the sword of his words, but never removed the physical blade from its scabbard. His sword was his words. His spear and javelin were the fear and anxiety that pierced the minds of his opponents. Okay, so if you guys, if you do want to go ahead and open up to the story of David and Goliath. It's in 1 Samuel 17. We all know the story very, very well. And we know that the Philistine, Philist, how, is it Philistines or Philistines? Philistines? Yeah. yeah? Okay. If I say it wrong, I'm sorry. <laughs> they had assembled um, for battle. And then Saul, he was the king at that time. Him and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of, of Ella, Elah, and drew up their battle line to get to meet the Philistines. So there was two hills. Philistines on one side and the Israelites on the other. Verse 4, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. 
He was over nine feet tall, and he had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. So he was a big dude. All right. And um, on his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. It was a massive spear. And its iron point weighed 600 shekels, and his shield bearer went ahead of him. So we have, we all have heard this so many times, but we have this giant, you know, he's got these massive weapons, and he's taunting the armies of Israel. And um, this is a little tidbit that's going to be important later, but the, it says in, the, in the, the Old Testament, and it's also, as far as my understanding, in history, it says that um, giants, there was a race of giants, and they came from uh, the fallen angels and, and people. Okay, you guys look that up for yourself. Don't take my word, okay? Just, I know that sounds weird. Okay, just look that up. But that's going to be important. The fallen angels. So it was the seed of the enemy. Okay, these, these uh, giants were, were from that. Okay, verse 8 says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come out to me. And then he gives them this proposal. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Okay, then the, the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now I realize something. The giant gave this proposal, and it had two sides to it, right? If you guys win, we become your slaves. If, if we win, you become our slaves, right? It wasn't like a heads I win, tails you lose thing, you know? It was like a for real proposal, you know? But it says that when the Israelites heard that, they were dismayed and terrified. So rather than charging forward in the hope of the victory, they retreated in the fear of defeat. They only saw the negative side of that. Their focus was on the fear of losing rather than on the hope of the victory. Their fear was on the threat of slavery, right? The giant said, if, if, if uh, you guys lose, you're going to become our slaves. So their fear was the fear of slavery. But what they did not realize was that they had already become slaves to that fear. They were slaves in their own camp. They were the armies of the living God, a covenant people, God's chosen people, that by an act of their will, they remained enslaved to fear. In the same way, you know, I want to keep um, paralleling this with my story that I'll share with you guys. In the same way, my greatest fear was rejection. And again, I'm saying was on purpose. I feared becoming rejection slave, and and I dreaded the unwilling submission to their unrelenting taskmaster of pain, hurt, and abandonment. But though my fear was oppression, I had already become oppressed by fear. But all he did was talk. All that giant did was look big, and his, war, his sword was his words, his javelin was fear, and his spear was the anxiety that pierced the soul. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. Anxiety was woven into thoughts, and it was anxiety woven into the fabric of the mind. But they were a covenant children. Their God was the king of kings, the creator who created man, who even created the giant, the creator who created words. 
But the Israelites feared the created one, as well as his faulty words. And by their free will, they chose to believe the taunting lies of oppression. Rather than the words of covenant that brought freedom, they put more trust in the sin that leads to death, rather than the truth that gives life. Instead of charging forward in the hope of victory, they retreated in the fear of defeat. So, so why? That, that's my question. Why were they doing that? Why was I doing that? Why, by my will, was I choosing to believe those lies instead of the truth that I knew my God was speaking to me? Well, that's also that's what David said. And, uh, you know, we can, we're not going to read this whole thing. Um, but just, just moving forward here, verse 16, it says, For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took a stand. For 40 days the Israelites endured that torment, and they were slaves to that fear. So we're going to skip through it. The next part talks about David and his family. And, and then we know that David, um, he was a shepherd boy, right? And his brothers were, were on the battlefield. And we know that, um, that David's dad, he's like, hey, uh, son, will you take this food to your brothers? They're on the battlefield. Uh, just take these supplies to them, you know. And, and it says that early in the morning, David left the flock with, with the shepherd and loaded up to set out. One thing I've noticed is that oftentimes in people who were obedient in, in the word, it says that if God or, or their, just like David, his dad told him to do something, it says early in the morning they did it. Abraham, you know, God told him to take his son. It says early in the morning Abraham did that. So these people moved in complete and immediate obedience. Right? And just as a side note, this would be a menial task, you know, um, David's dad saying, hey, will you take this food to your brothers in the battlefield? But in David's immediate and complete obedience to his, his father, he obeyed in this menial task, and it became a destiny moment for him. It became a moment that changed his life forever, and it enabled God to move in a victory that transformed his life for the, the rest of, of his days, and we still are standing and remembering it now. So... Um, we're just we're going to skip through all this part. You know, David's asking, you know, what happens to the guy who kills him and kills the giant and all that stuff. But then this is important in verse 32. David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. David's heart said, let no one lose heart. I'm going to go and fight him. And, of course, we know that Saul, um, he was like, you can't go. You're just a boy. You know, he had. David already had opposition for the ones that were on his side. And so he kept, kept um, talking with Saul. And then in verse 37 it says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So David brought his history with God. He had already experienced the deliverance of God with the lion and the bear. And so he brought his history of that experience with God to, the, to this uh, battlefield with the giant. And in the same way, we can do that as we walk with God and as we build our history with him. We can bring what he's already done to the battlefield and we can wield it as a weapon against our enemies. So David, when we know that it says that Saul dressed David in his own tunic and put his armor on him and stuff. And David's like, I can't do this. You know, it doesn't fit me. I'm not used to it. And uh, we all know that part. Um, it goes on but in verse 40. We, it says that then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, and put them in a pouch of a shepherd's bag with a sling in his hand and approached the Philistine. So we know 
that David came with what he had. He came with who he was, right, which was a shepherd boy. He came with what God had given him, his staff, his sling, his shepherd's bag and stones. He came with the testimonies of the lion and the bear. And he came with his history with God. And he came with the experience of a victory already won by the Lord. He brought who he was, which was a shepherd boy. And he brought the tools that the Lord had already given him. And in faith and in confidence, David was a ruddy and handsome picture of a confident expectation in the word of the Lord. But he submitted these to the Lord and he came with the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. From the beginning, he knew and declared that the Lord would win the victory, that it wouldn't be David struggling. It wouldn't be a result of our works or religion, but it was out of covenant. It was out of who God, who David was in relationship with God as a son of God. David knew and confidently declared from the beginning that the Lord would win this battle. And he spoke it out of his mouth. He shouted the truth back at the head that spewed lies. So we know, um, let's see, in verse 45, it says, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So this, this giant that comes at us with the sword of his words, and he comes at us with the spear that pierces our thoughts, and the, the javelin that pierces our soul with anxiety. Then we can come back at, at that giant with the word of the Lord. And with the covenant that we have in him. So we know that David ran forward with his mouth open. Never run at your giants with your mouth closed. You have to declare your victory before you reach him. You have to speak that victory as you're running toward your enemy. And then we get, um, oh, verse 47, this is so awesome. David said, part of his declaration was that all those gathered here who know, will, will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. He not only spoke victory, he spoke the results of the victory, that it was not just about him. It, his testimony was going to affect the multitudes that witnessed it. And it's the same in our lives as we speak and declare what God has done. It's going to affect the ones around us. And we're going to carry it as an, as an atmosphere of victory as we walk through our lives. So, um, verse 48. We're getting into the good part here. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. So, unlike the other Israelites, the giant moving forward... David's response was attack. Was, you're moving forward to me? Okay, I'm going to run forward at you with the weapons that I have in the Lord. But the Israelites, they shrunk back in fear before the giant had ever even took a step forward. Right? And so it says, uh, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. So we know that David took what he had. He took the tools that the Lord had already given him, and he slung it at the Philistine. And that stone struck the Philistine in the forehead. Man, to me that was like, yes, he struck the Philistine in the forehead. You know what? That talking head, the words of that talking head have penetrated my head for too long. And with the sling of one stone, with the sling of what God has given me already, I'm going to penetrate 
the forehead of that talking head with the lies. And he fell face down to the earth. All right, then David ran and stood over him. This is so awesome. He took hold of the Philistine's sword, and he drew it from the scabbard. And after he had killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. So once the head of the giant is cut off, there ain't no going back. (laughs) Yeah, once the head is cut off, that source of life is gone. If you, like, cut the head off of a critter, like a snake or a, you know, a reptile, squirrel, oh, a little squirrel. <laughs> no, that thing may twitch a little bit, but there's no going back. You know, it is dead. It's done. It's finished. In the same way, when we cut the head off of our enemies, it's a done deal. That thing cannot talk anymore. So then um, when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and they ran. James 4, 7 and 8 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. When we draw near to God, he comes near to us. And when we resist the devil, he will flee. So when you kill the giants in your life, the rest will flee. And we know that Jesus killed the ultimate giant already. And then verse 52, this is so awesome. It says, Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the uh, Sherem road to Gath and Ekron. So they, when they saw the, that head of testimony, they surged forward with a shout. The people of God surged forward and they, they pursued them to the entrance of Gath. Well, it says Goliath was from Gath, right? So they pursued their enemy back to where they came from. We can pursue those, those devils back to the gates of hell. We can take them back to where they belong, and their dead are going to be strewed all along the road to get there. This is important. The Philistines' pursuit of their enemy was victorious because they pursued in a victory they had already attained. They pursued in a victory that was already theirs. The giant was already dead. So the rest of those enemies were fleeing. So the Israelites' pursuit was in the confidence of a victory that had already been won. And it's the same for us. Jesus has already killed the giant. And so when we pursue the enemies that attack us, we can do so in confidence that that victory is already won. We, we can see the, the head of that giant. And we can pursue in faith that the rest, they're already fleeing from us. In verse 53, it says, When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head back to Jerusalem, and he put his weapons in his own tent. So the Israelites returned from chasing them, and they plundered their camp. They took back what was theirs. They took back what was stolen from them, as well as seven times more for their trouble. God redeemed their time. He redeemed their peace. God will redeem the years that were stolen from us. God is going to redeem the relationships that were scarred before I chose victory. God is going to redeem what we have lost whenever we were choosing to believe the lies. We will plunder the camp of the enemy. 
The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life abundantly. Proverbs 6.31, we know that Satan is a thief, and he has to pay back seven times more for the cost of of what he stole from us, though it it, uh, is the entire wealth of his house. We know that Jesus, Jesus died so that I could have abundant life. And then it says that David put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. And here, um, Philistine is singular. So we know he's talking about Goliath's weapons. Right, so David put Goliath's weapons in his own tent. Okay? So he took the weapons that were used against him, the weapons of the biggest giant, the greatest opponent that David had faced. David now took the weapons that were used against him, and he used them against his other enemies. He put them in his own tent, in his dwelling, and in his possession. And we also know that David dedicated these weapons to the Lord, the true victor of the fight. Because um, we know that Goliath's sword was later in the custody of the priest at Nob, or however you say that place, N-O-B. It was there. And so, and we also know in that same place that, that David later took that sword again. Years later, when he was... Uh, he was older, and he went and got that sword back from the priest, and it was still dedicated to the Lord. I know in his heart that was still dedicated to the Lord, but he was now using it as his weapon. So the greatest weapon that was going to kill him, he now used it as his sword to fight the other enemies. So in the same way, we can use the swords that we have acquired and the testimonies in our life. They, will, they can kill the giants in the lives of the people around us. They can kill the other enemies that attack us. Right, so we can take those up. And one important thing is that these are giant killing weapons. They are giant killing weapons. So when the next enemy comes against you, you will have the testimony, the weapons, and the history of your previous victory with God. We can charge forward in the hope of victory rather than retreating in the fear of defeat. Like we said, it is for freedom that Jesus set me free. There's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. But Jesus already broke all those chains. He already removed the chains that bound me. But you know what I kept doing? I kept choosing to put those chains back on. What a weirdo. I kept putting the chains on that Jesus had already took off. I'm like, no, those feel good, you know. It's so weird. But I was. (laughs) Yeah. But as an act of our will, we can choose, we can choose to leave those chains on the ground and to not take them up again. Jesus paid the full price. He not, o- not only did he pay the wages of sin, which is death, he paid for everything that leads to death, too. Poverty, sickness, fear, anxiety, torment. Jesus took this on for me. So why would I try to pay a debt that had already been paid? And you know, the enemy, he'll take our money. If I try to pay it twice, I'll be like, sure, I'll take your money. You know, but if Jesus has already paid it, there's no reason for me to pay it again. And am I choosing to submit to that fear, to submit to that worry and anxiety? I was paying that debt again. We know that, that Jesus, the chastisement that brought me peace was upon Jesus. In the same way that Jesus took on, uh, that he was beaten for my physical healing, in the same way Jesus paid for my mental healing as well. He paid for my mental wholeness just as much as he did my physical wholeness. You know, it says that that crown of thorns, um, Greg, man, so awesome, he brought this forward at Young Adults. 
But we know that the, the, the thorns are the cares and affairs of this life that penetrate, that penetrate our thoughts and that pierce our soul. And Jesus, when he bore that crown of thorns, he bore that for us so that we can have freedom in our minds. We don't need to have that crown of thorns anymore. He paid for peace in my mind. He commands me not to worry. He says, do not worry. Do not fear. Do not be anxious for anything. And if he tells us do not, he will always provide a way for us to obey. He will never allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. But when we are tempted, he will always provide a way out so we can stand under it. So so when I was in my room, I prayed. I was like, God, it's an act of my free will. You know, I offer this place in my heart to you. I was like, Holy Spirit, please come and heal this place. I welcome you here because I realized I locked him out of this place in my heart before. And the only way I could protect it was in fear, but it really was no protection at all. But when we are, when we are able to give those, those secret places of our heart to God, he can take care of it. You know, and he can heal every place. The battle is the Lord's. He's already won it, and he's giving the victory into our hands. Like I said earlier, I was in my own striving trying to change myself. And I have to surrender it to God and let him change me and cooperate with the Holy Spirit as he gives me life. So, so David, um, the next part of verse 52, or uh, 54, it says that David took Philistine's head back and brought it to Jerusalem. And it's my understanding that at that time... Jerusalem was not in the possession of the Israelites because we know that later in 2 Samuel 5, 6, it says that David, um, the king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. So David's older now. This is 2 Samuel 5, 6. This is after David and Goliath and all that. And uh, the Jebusites occupied Jerusalem. Okay. And... um, so the Jebusite said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off, though they thought, because they thought David can't get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion and the city of David. So, so when David captured Jerusalem, he made it his capital. And after he captured it, um, from then on, it was called the city of David. And I, I looked up um, the name Jerusalem and what that means. It's also called Salem, the city of God, the holy city. Um, it was once the city of Judah, uh, and it was also the uh, the name. Uh, let's see, it also means possession of peace and foundation of peace. So today, I may be bringing the head of testimony to a city that we do not yet have physical control of, but I am bringing this testimony as a trophy of victory, displaying what the God of Israel is able to do to the enemies that defy His covenant children. And what God has done with this testimony, he will also do to this city. That is a prophetic act. Prophetic act, David brought the head of Goliath to Jerusalem, to a city that they did not have possession of yet. But he brought it as a testimony that this ground will be in possession of of the children of God. And so, so whenever I say city... As it relates to our lives, it's not just a city, it's a land and a territory. It is ground that was, that was once occupied by fear and torment in my life. It was a place in my life that was occupied and fortified by enemies. But this place 
in my life, as I bring this testimony to it, it will be just like David called it the city of David. It's going to be my city. It's going to be the city of God. It's going to be the holy city. It will be a possession of peace. It will be a foundation of peace. And it will be called the city of Judah. And we know Judah means praise. So this city that was once occupied and controlled by our enemies will be a city of praise to the almighty God. So I bring the testimony of faithfulness of my God and the power of my king, the authority of his word and the unbreakable faithfulness of his covenant, that he is the almighty creator of the universe. We know that that David called Goliath an uncircumcised Philistine. Well, that giant was not in covenant with God, but David was. Our enemies are not in covenant with God, but we are. And this enemy wasn't just defying me. He was defying my God. Just like David declared, he was speaking against the word of truth and the foundation of covenant that I based my life on. And in doing so, he was defying the people whom God had given me, the friends and relationships that the Lord had established in my life. So I ask you this morning, what is the giant in your life that is spewing lies and and taunting words contrary to the truth of your covenant keeping God? Is it fear? Is it rejection? Is it worry and anxiety? Is it jealousy? Is it addiction, finances, marriage problems, sickness, disease, or pain? The big question is, what are you the most afraid to be a slave of? What are you the most afraid to be a slave of? Because just like it was happening with me, I became a a slave to the fear of that. I was a slave to the fear of rejection because my greatest fear was being rejected. But what I didn't realize was that it was already enslaving me. Don't let the fear of slavery make you a slave to fear like the Israelites. They were slaves in their own camp. Charge forward in the confidence of victory rather than retreating in the fear of defeat. Again, in 1 Samuel 17, 51, we said that when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. And the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout. I believe that we're going to do some of that this morning. Today, I'm holding up Goliath's head of testimony that the Lord has delivered into my hand. And so I invite you in hope and confidence of what our God can, is able, and wants to do. And what he has already accomplished on the cross that we will surge forward in a shout of victory in pursuit of our enemy. We know that the greatest giant has already been defeated. Jesus conquered death and sin once and for all. We are dead to sin. He gave his life on the cross for us on Golgotha. This, the hill of Calvary, Golgotha, which was also called the hill of the skull. The hill of Goliath's skull. We know that David brought Goliath's skull His head to Jerusalem. The hill of the skull, Golgotha, Goliath of Gath. As Jesus was crucified for us on this hill, his feet were over the head of Goliath, the the giant that was there. And it was a prophetic picture of the fulfillment of the words, you will strike his hill, but he will crush your head. Jesus forever crushed the head of our enemy. There, Jesus' blood was shed for the ultimate testimony. The blood that sealed the covenant with us in God, that made it possible for us to come into relationship 
with the Almighty God. He saved us from the giant of spiritual death and eternal separation from God. If God is for us, who can be against us? He, did, he didn't spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also give us all things? God is for us. Who's the one who condemns? It's not God. Nothing's impossible for God. Nothing's impossible for those who believe. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And so like David, we just bring who we are and we give what we have to God. And as an act of our will, we will surrender it to him. The battle is the Lord's. He has already won it and he will deliver it into your hands. Would you guys stand up with me? I don't, I don't think this is a message that you just can go home and, and think about it nicely. I think that as I hold out this head of testimony, I think we need to surge forward with a shout. Is this bearing witness with any of you guys? Man, I can tell you that in my generation, I'm sure that's not the only one, that the, the mind is such a, a battlefield and there's so much fear and torment, and especially in the days that we're in right now. And God wants us to realize that that torment that has stolen from us for years, all it is is a talking head. And that God will put the, the victory into our hands. Okay? I'm not sure. Um, who's, are you, you in charge today, Ken? <laughs> I don't know if we should go back into worship or what. What do you guys feel? Maybe a little bit of praise. Anyone? Think so? Yeah, let's, let's uh, worship team come on up, and uh, we'll just enter into to worship. Uh, if anybody uh, needs prayer, um, we've got prayer teams in the back, uh, and just feel free to go back here. Just let's enter into a time of a, uh, worship, short time here, and just uh, let's just look to God for your friends. Just uh, look to Him and let Him speak to you. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And uh, those that need prayer, uh, just come on back and pray. Cool. And I think maybe if you do want to come up, man just as an act of, okay, God, I'm surrendering this area of my life to you that has tormented me for years because I know you've already delivered the victory to us. And just remember that the anointing breaks the yoke. It doesn't just break the yoke. It destroys that yoke. And it says it grinds it to powder until there's nothing left. And it says that we can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Mm-hmm.